Hildegard of Bingen once said, the mystery of God hugs you in its all-encompassing arms. Welcome to the 23rd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because the answer to all our heart's desires is Jesus himself. And we've got to work hard to turn toward him and fall into his all-encompassing arms. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, do children need to take mental health days like us adults are now fond of taking? The states of Utah and Oregon have recently started allowing students to take mental health days as excused absences from school, and I think it's a fantastic idea. I hear people talking about this at work all the time, and it makes sense. A hard day at work, like a really hard one, can almost necessitate a day off to rest one's mind and give oneself a break. I'm taking a mental health day has become a common phrase heard around many of our offices, but should it be something we leave on the absence line at school. I'm sorry, but my daughter will be taking a mental health day today and will return tomorrow. I'd say a tentative yes. It's important to recognize that our kids might just need a break from time to time and to support them in verbalizing those needs and exploring the best way to cope with their feelings or the situations they find themselves in, utilizing various coping skills that work for them, spending some time alone with one parent on a little mini date to help refresh them, or perhaps taking a mental health day off from school. The reason I'm saying tentatively yes is because because I don't want you to think I'm just all in favor of uh, some sort of carte blanche, take a day off whenever you want to be to by calling mental uh, mental health day, uh, and parents just having to give in. We all know our children. We know which of our children have a tendency toward anxiety, easily getting overwhelmed or sensory overloaded, and we need to use that knowledge while at the same time working hard to get to know each of our children better and deeper on an emotional level to help us navigate these waters as we move forward. Next up, a new study published in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry has investigated a potential link between beginning oral contraceptive use in your teen years and a higher risk of depression. This is one of the things Catholics and couples who stay away from artificial contraception point out from time to time, and typically the claim gets pushed to the side as nonsense. This particular study took a look at 1,236 American women and concluded there's a long-term association between adolescent contraceptive use and depression risk in adulthood regardless of current contraceptive use. It's staggering, really. The amount of women I come into contact with who are experiencing depression and decreased frustration tolerance who have recently started contraception. The big takeaway from the study in my mind, however, is the fact that the risk of depression is raised regardless of if one stops using contraception in the long term. It's a fascinating and deeply troubling finding, especially considering that many of us started down the path of using contraception before seeing the danger in terms of our health and our relationships and turning back. And depression isn't something one should just skip over as a minor side effect. Depression is quite literally a killer. It can lead us to experience suicidal thinking, which is a crisis that needs to be treated as such. For me, this study also brings home the importance of informed consent. Do doctors truly make an effort to help us understand the potential impact of everything we're putting into our bodies? Do we take that information seriously and then go home and have a conversation with friends or family members who care about us so that we can make the most informed decision possible. 
Typically, no. We've grown to see our medical decisions as personal and private, and we've grown to wanting our doctor to give us the fastest possible solution without having them go into all the potential consequences of that proposed solution. And we're left with the results of this study. We're left with allowing the deterioration of our mood and mental states, and we're left with thinking we're empowered, but truly we're just adding on more suffering than when we started. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to St. Joseph of Cupertino. Born in Naples in 1603, Joseph's father died before his birth, and his family home and assets were all seized in order to settle the large debts his father had left behind. Thus, with nowhere else to go, his mother was left to give birth to Joseph in a stable. With this obvious connection to Christ from the beginning, Joseph began to experience ecstatic visions as a child, but this actually ended up bringing quite a bit of ridicule from his peers, and none of it was helped by his well-known frequent outbursts of anger. At the age of 17, he went to join the conventual Franciscan friars, but was rejected. He moved on to the Capuchins and was accepted as a lay brother, but was quickly dismissed due to his ecstasies making him unfit for his duties of his position. He returned to his family, who were so disappointed in him that he decided to plead with the Franciscans to just let him work in their stables, which they did. And after witnessing his amazing devotion and simplicity, he was accepted to the order and became a priest in 1625. His ecstasies continued, leading even to his most well-known spiritual feat, levitation, which gained him something of a reputation with the nearby people. He was deemed disruptive by his superiors and was confined to his cell where he lived until his death at the age of 60. Joseph was well-known to to have troubles with his learning, difficulties with his mood, and was even called psychotic by some of the people at the time. And yet, God raised him up to sainthood through his simple life and love of God. It's just another reminder of how God can do great things with us, even when we feel broken or find ourselves drifting through a world that doesn't quite understand us. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, and today we're going with one in preparation of an upcoming exam. Oh, great St. Joseph of Cupertino, who while on earth did obtain from God the grace to be asked at your examination only the questions you knew, obtain for me a like favor in the exam for which I am now preparing. In return, I promise to make you known and cause you to be invoked through Christ our Lord. St. Joseph of Cupertino, pray for us. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. First up, Anonymous checks in. I'm going for a job interview in a few days and wonder about disclosing my current SAD episode, that's seasonal affective disorder for those listening at home. It will pass. It always does. They already know about my history of depression, as it is a mental health peer support position, and experience as a consumer of local mental health services is required. I guess I just don't want to hide the truth, but I'm also not super keen on saying, hey, hire me to help support others, but please don't be dissuaded by my current state. I have the qualifications and experience needed, and it would be such a great job for me. I just don't want to pass as being 100% when I'm feeling 65 to 70% these days temporarily. Thank you so much for sending this question in Anonymous, as I think it's something that every single one of us thinks about from time to time. Let's take a minute to all join together to pray for Anonymous and everyone who grapples with the idea of informing their employer, their family, their friends, or anyone else how they've truly been feeling, that they may find peace, comfort, and a welcoming community. 
Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. First of all, I have to say how awesome it is that you're getting involved in a mental health peer support position. I can't say enough good things about the many mental health peer support staff I have worked with in my career and the impact they have on our community and every individual they work with cannot be overstated. For those who don't know, mental health peer support is a position where someone who has received mental health services or is a family member of someone who has received mental health services works on a mental health team to walk with those coming in for help. It's incredibly important, first and foremost, because they don't have the same inevitable wall that can build up between therapists or doctors and the people they're trying to help. Often they have experienced the exact same symptoms of the person coming in and perhaps have gone through the process of trying to find the best medication to help them thrive, all the ups and downs, and they can connect with those coming in for help in a way that I can't as a therapist. Okay, now about sharing your current situation in a job interview, I would say you shouldn't feel compelled to share exactly how you've been doing in the given moment. If you were already working with the team and found them to be supportive, welcoming, and caring, that would be one thing. But going into this interview, the important issues are your qualifications, like you mentioned, and focusing on answering the questions being asked. I think a lot of times those of us in the mental health field feel compelled to share more about our personal situation in an interview, for example, but uh, than people in other fields. Um, people in other fields are going into interviews trying to present themselves as perfect as possible. No one goes into an interview at Facebook and tells the manager that they're going through a tough divorce or anything like that. Personally, I think it's a strength of those of us in the mental health field that we're comfortable enough to share our feelings and situations in the open like that. But I don't want you to feel like you have to share, especially considering you know it will pass. Best of luck on the interview. Next up, a different anonymous stops by. My brother's girlfriend has been a point of tension for years. My family, especially my dad, blames me for not accepting her or wanting her around. She's made some bad choices, suffers with her own mental health problems, and is really manipulative and controlling to my twin brother. I believe she's emotionally abusive to him. They've been in a relationship for five and a half years. I have fought it once, and I realized how toxic it was for me and my family. And I'm really struggling because I know God wants us to love everyone, but it hurts my heart and affects my mental health when I'm around her and interact with her. My family blames me for this divide and has even called me a bad Catholic because I can't seem to accept her. It's always me who has to compromise, not my brother. How do I accept her and love her when she negatively affects my mental health, but knowing that accepting her would be the easiest thing for my family? I have to choose between my mental health and my family, and I want to show my faith to my non-practicing family and non-believing brother, but I also want to protect myself. Guys, we all need to pray for this situation and for all involved that God's grace will pour into their hearts and begin to heal this situation. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Amen. To start, I just want to point out how incredible an example you are for continuing to want to do the right thing and seek God's will in the midst of all this difficulty. It's so impressive to me that you want to find what's best for you and your family and yourself and to be an example of the faith. It's just truly inspiring. From what you've shared here, you aren't a bad Catholic at all. You're seeking God's will in your life and the life of your family, and that's what the Catholic life is all about. This is such a hard situation, and I'm sure it's so much deeper and more complicated than you were able to share over the DM. So I think it's worth recognizing that. If they're if they've been together for nearly six years, there's a whole lot that's been going on, a whole lot of interactions, a whole lot of tension, and it comes across pretty clearly. So with all that in mind, a couple of quick thoughts. First, believe in the power of prayer. I know we all believe in prayer intellectually, but in situations like this, we can start to feel in our hearts like prayer is worthless. We pray and we pray and we pray for something to give, and it seems like it never does, and we start to think, what's the point? But God is working. God is wanting to conquer this place that we find ourselves in and claim it for himself. And focusing on prayer is the best way to play a role in that. Pray for strength and peace for yourself. Pray for a conversion of heart for your brother's girlfriend and pray for God's will to be accomplished in your family, whatever that may be. Next, it's great that you're taking care of your mental health. It can be pretty darn hard to find ourselves in a situation where others are placing blame on us, where we clearly see someone manipulating people we care about and they all seem so blind to it. Your family seems to know how you feel. It sounds like you've gotten that message across to them. And that leaves you with two options, really. One would be to distance yourself from your family when the girlfriend is around because it's not good for your own mental health to be around her. The other would be to stay close to your family and your brother, even though the girlfriend is going to make things rough for you. Only you can know what's the best path for yourself to take at this moment in time. Think about it, pray about it, and know that we're praying for you too. David wraps things up for us. Would you consider saying something about perfectionism? I've noticed the tendency within me to balk at imperfection and feel hurt when someone points out a mistake or flaw in me. Any advice or insight you might have would be helpful. Great one, David. Thanks for throwing it in the hat. Let's all join together in prayer for a brief uh, moment to ask God to come into David's heart and all of our hearts to give us all peace and to remind us that we are daughters and sons of God, sisters and brothers of Christ the King, children of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and nothing is more perfect than that. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. It's a struggle for all of us, wanting to be perfect and finding that we can't seem to ever meet the level we expect of ourselves. Christ himself laid down this command while he was here with us on earth. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5.48 for those playing at home. A realization we have to come to, however, is that we don't achieve this perfection in the sense that we achieve some other goals in our life. For example, if we want to become the most perfect runner we're able to become, we can train, practice, eat in a manner that improves our speed and endurance, and over time we will accomplish the goal of being the best runner we can be, given our body type and other natural things we can't control. Becoming perfect as Christ commands it, however, cannot be accomplished in the same way. Instead, we achieve our perfection through him. We become perfect because he is in us and we are in him. We share in his perfection by giving our lives over to him, by trusting in his providence, by meeting him in those uh, in need who come into our lives. He makes us perfect. 
It's a gift and nothing we achieve by our works. Of course, we know that prayer, the mass, the sacraments, etc. are all ways to enter more deeply into Christ and more deeply open ourselves to him living in us. But it isn't because we do something that we get an achievement unlocked and become perfect or anything like that. Okay, back to the question. Advice for how to move on from feeling hurt when someone points out flaws in you. First, it's normal to feel hurt when people point out our flaws. We feel seen. We feel knocked down. But if they're pointing it out with love and an actual desire to help show us where we're at so we can start moving in a better direction, it's super helpful. I tell people I work with all the time that they need to find someone they trust, a parent, a spouse, a close friend, and allow that person to help them understand how they're doing in life. Because when it comes to how we're doing with our mental health, we can't really trust ourselves. For example, I might not realize uh, when I'm being grumpy and walking in the door from work day after day, I might be blind to it. And if my wife says, hey, you've been really grumpy lately. Is everything okay? My first reaction is to get upset. I haven't been grumpy. You have. But you see, I have to trust that she can see me from the outside. I have to trust that she wants what's best for me. And then once I get over myself, I can use that information that she's giving me about my behavior to explore and work on whatever's behind it. Two prayers, I think, are great for all of us struggling with this issue. Number one is the litany of humility. I can honestly say that I have never prayed that prayer without at least one of the lines really hitting my heart. Number two is an examination of conscience before bed at night. There are plenty of formulas online that can get you started. It's a Catholic tradition to review our day, our failings, our successes, and to focus on trying to give ourselves more completely to God the next day. And it can really help us to see ourselves more clearly, see where we're at objectively, and teach us that while we do have flaws, while we lack perfection in this present moment, we are focused on Christ focused on heaven and working with Christ to move ever forward in that direction. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves, and if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna.